Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest today is Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor. He's the host of the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast and the author most recently of Cancer is Funny. He's also a good friend. It was great to reflect on these texts with him. I give you Jason Michelli. Jason, always good to see you. Welcome to Synaxis. You are my third guest. Synaxis? Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. Can that also, sounds like a made-up word. It's not, but it's you can Google it. My wife came up with it. She found it. I was thinking of a name for the podcast. It, was, it wasn't easy to come up with one. So um, this is what we went with. Synaxis. Synaxis. Okay. Well, for, it's, yeah. like, it's like one of those... It's like a cold medicine. Yeah, it, yeah, it might, it might be. Like it, I mean, that could be. I mean, that Claritin kind of thing. Yeah, it could be that too. I mean, I, I might branch out. That, that I, might, I might self-sponsor, self-support this podcast. So let's. Well, what better way to take your ailments away than to talk about the Word of God? The Word of God, right? We do not live by bread alone or by Claritin alone. Uh, I don't really have allergies, though. Knock or on, by knock five on loaves of bread alone, or by five. Yeah. So our first text. Genesis 32, 22 through 31. We got Jacob, after serving Laban for many years, he's decided to return home to Canaan. He sent messengers ahead to Esau, seeking favor with him. But they've returned with news that his brother is bringing an army with him. He's asked God for deliverance, and he's also seeking to appease Esau, figure things out. So I was reading one commentator or something said that Jacob here looks like a general in a war room. All right, like you divide, we'll divide these. You go here, you go here. He's like making mm. strategic plans because I guess he's anticipating that his interaction with Esau might not be very warm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Scaramucci says, some brothers, you know, brothers like me and Reince, <laughs> we conflict sometimes like Cain and Abel, right? Oh, uh, well, so that means yeah. I'm going to kill Reince and hide from and hide it from God. <laughs> Well, I mean, here, Jacob. I'm sure Jacob was a douchebag, just like Scaramucci. Yeah, I'm he sure, like, he might, he was he might have been douchey. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? Yes, I'm you sorry. Say, you can say anything you want. I apologize, but no, yeah. I mean, that is the kind of person Jacob is or has been. Yeah, I mean, that's what's interesting, right? Jacob is somebody that is. Uh, oh, it's interesting because he's someone born by con, born into, and his life seems marked by conflict. Right, like early on, there's like the tolmet in the womb with the brothers, and and you know it, it's interesting too that uh, a couple weeks ago the text says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob, and it's not even they've got favorites. It seems like it's like one loves the one and one loves the other. I mean, so mm -hmm. so you think about what it's like to come up in a family system like that, where mm -hmm. it's so clear. The the parents like there's this. It seems like there's this competition and enmity that. The parents almost seem to ignite and then fuel. There's a lot, yeah, a lot of bad parenting in the Old Testament. Yes, so much for family values. Yeah, like just a lot of bad, bad parenting. But I, I think it's, uh, I mean, 
I like this passage um, and always have, you know, on the one hand, I like that, you know, woven into the very self-identity of Israel is the idea of contending against God. Um, but I think that's refreshing um, to be reminded that, that that's that, that not only is that affirmed, that's, you know, woven into their name and and just that, you know, that God encounters us. We don't encounter God. Um, but I think that's a, a helpful reminder to most people. Yeah. And what's it's interesting, too, that it's clear. It seems that Jacob is unprepared mm-hmm. both for the meeting with Esau and the meeting with God. Mm-hmm. And we do get a, an interesting picture of Jacob here because he, he seems like he's sort of like timing out the gifts and sort of like trying to entreat Esau, but he's really asking God for mercy. And yet, you know, he's, he's, it's, I, I don't know if this is good theology at all, right? It probably, it probably <laughs> isn't. But, you know, some people say like, pray that, pray like everything depends on God and act like everything depends on you. And again, that's probably Pelagian stuff at its best but <laughs> but that does seem like what jacob's posture is right mm-hmm. no I, I, yeah i would agree with that on some level yeah and then you know this is this 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 appearance of an angel or a messenger or so where are you on old testament theophany saint augustine says no theophanies of god at all before the incarnation that basically that that it's not possible for god to be visible for the incarnation robert jensen says it is possible are you with Jen? Survey says, Michelle. <laughs> uh, I am entirely comfortable, and I think preachers should be more creative um, in finding Christ active in the Old Testament. Um, and so I, I am perfectly happy to see Jacob as having wrestled with Christ uh, on the banks of the Jabbok. Yeah, because you do have the, the text right in 1 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, which says, talks about how, you know, you, your ancestors drank from that, ate the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. I mean, that's pretty, mm-hmm. that's pretty explicit. That's the Apostle Paul. So Yeah, I mean, and I don't think, I mean, I think to, to parse it is kind of misses the point. I mean, because even if it's a messenger of God, it's still of God. And so, I mean, so it's still, Jacob is struggling against God, um, and however you want to define that i think becomes moot after a point so if you send your intern who i think i met on skype once to go wrestle somebody (laughs) they are wrestling they're contending with you even if your little minion is exactly exactly i like that so i want to read you something this is my favorite um one of my paul's all no this is this is from frank lake and it's one of my favorite things in clinical theology he has this wonderful section called like schizoid personality which we would say now, I mean, it's written in the 60s or 70s. So this is like, I think we'd say like some sort of severe PTSD where you're split off from yourself. Like he says, you know, mm-hmm. schizophrenia is like the mind being shattered in a thousand pieces. This is like it being cleaved, like split mm-hmm. off from yourself. And he looks at Jacob as this like quintessential example of this guy split off from himself because of, mm-hmm. you know, primal sort of alienation in childhood and stuff. And he says this, God's love has sustained Jacob through the long night of combat against the tragic miscarriages of providence and against God himself as responsible for his whole fate. In wrestling and clinging, finally in utter passive weakness, in the acceptance of the wound that made him go haltingly and in penitence for his sin, Jacob had persevered with the inner spiritual battle. 
God now gave him a new name, indicating his new nature. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. To see the face of God was so traditionally associated with dread as to regard the vision as deadly. Jacob was one of the few who persevered until the end in the place which he feared most. God was revealed to him. The conclusion of this history of Jacob's transition from an unstable character to a man who walks steadily with God is symbolized as we see him walking, even though lame, into the sun. And he passed over Penuel. As, and as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. As the master himself said, better enter into life maimed rather than insisting on retaining the wholeness of a broken humanity, be counted unworthy of the kingdom. That's very pretty. Yeah, it's a beautiful image. I love that. That rather, like, you know, uh, is it, who's that? Is it, um, who wrote the book Leading with a Limp? It's, um, oh, I don't know. It's called, it's uh, Dan Allender. I think he teaches psychology in Seattle or something. He wrote this book called Leading with a Limp. And so it, I love that picture that it's rather better to limp, right? than to cling to the brokenness of a supposedly whole humanity. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, part of it, like, I don't know. Don't trust anyone. Uh, don't trust anybody that's not limping. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, I think it's, um, uh, so I, uh, what am I saying? I think the story's good in that I think it's a good corrective. What am I, you're gonna have to edit this out. Sorry, Scott. Um, so much contemporary Christian music expresses a longing to be, you know, encountered by God without an awareness that, you know, being encountered by God can do damage to you. Um, that, you know, the presence of God is, is, is a frightening thing very often. Um, so I think the story is, is a helpful corrective to that. And I, I, I would hesitate to affirm Lake's talking about Jacob's inner spiritual struggle though. Um, that I think, the danger, especially like since this is a lectionary podcast, I think the danger for preachers is to want to make the sermon about Jacob um, and to find analogous struggles that we have with God and to make this, you know, make the sermon about us um, in effect. Um, that the text itself doesn't seem to be very concerned with Jacob's inner state at all. Um, and it's more about this, this encounter that, you know, God has with Jacob, that it's that it's you know fundamentally it's a story about God, not not Jacob. Yeah, if anything, his interstate seems to be like pretty calculating or something, right? I mean, he, like again, he he doesn't seem like he's in this place of real spiritual centeredness, and yeah, he he is entreating God. I mean, it's interesting, but that's so much about the nature of revelation, right? Like God gives Himself to us, and we, like we you can't prepare for it, right? Like mm -hmm. I mean, it 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 it's utterly gratuitous, like God's. Revelation, God's self-giving. It never. It's not like we bring something to our end of the table. Really. Yeah, I, I, I think it was last week. My uh, uh, Fleming Rutledge, on whom I have a massive man crush or crush. She's not a. She's a woman. Um, this is she. I saw her tweeting a bunch about not liking the language of journey, like as in a spiritual journey to God. Um, and I and I really resonate with that critique. Um, and I, and I think. Uh, a lot of these Old Testament narratives uh, from Genesis are, are helpful um, in in that, like, they are about God's initiative. Um, yeah, in the book Leading with a Limp, uh, he actually, Allender says this, this is the story of Jacob exalts not the struggle, but the goodness of God as he blesses 
a conniving, undeserving man, no matter how far off the mark we might be. We see in this account the promise that if we open ourselves to meet God, we will not come out of the encounter the same. We will walk a new path with an unpredictable gate. Yeah. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I tell people all the time that like my life would be a lot easier if I had never become a Christian. You would never, you wouldn't know me though, probably. <laughs> that would suck. That it would suck. It would suck. So let's move on to Romans 9, 1 through 5. Now, this is actually, I think, an incredibly moving short passage where Paul, you know, he's written about the new life in Christ and the love of God and how the Holy Spirit takes root in us. And then he talks about Christians being adopted as children of God and sharing the heritage of Christ. Now he confronts a thorny question. Why have most of God's people, uh, ethnic Israel, rejected the good news? And it seems like a real problem for Paul. Like he said, I'd rather be cut off. Mm-hmm. I'd rather. Yeah, cu- I think. Um, yeah. I, I, so, so what's interesting to me, and I just preached on this recently. By the um, way, have you heard the story of the guy who's being examined on the floor of his presbytery? And they said, do you love the sovereignty of God so much that you'd be damned to hell for his glory? And the, and the guy being examined said, not just me, but I'd be willing that this whole presbytery were damned to hell for his glory. <laughs> That's funny. No, I, uh, so like what's important, I think, is the way that I think people forget that Romans is all one argument. Um, and so, you know, texts are read out of context from the larger flow of, 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 of the essay. Um, and so, you know, what I think is interesting is that in chapter eight, Paul raises the question, uh, of whether or not anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he, and he, and he names, you know, nakedness, peril, famine, sword, um, which for him are really just ways that the power of sin with a capital S manifests itself in our world. Um, but, the, you know, so like he has this exhaustive list, death and rulers, things present, things to come. Um, but the one thing he leaves off of that list is is us, right? Um, do we have the ability to separate ourselves from the love of God? Um, and so then in chapter nine, he turns to what is the most obvious example available to him, which is Israel. Um, so I think, you know, that that's, so Israel is, so it's, it's about, you know, these people who have not accepted the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Um, but it, he's introducing them as a way of, of talking larger uh, about whether we have the ability to separate ourselves from the love of God ultimately. Yeah. And I think that, that what's interesting here too, is that Paul, is heartbroken and i i people that i I wish that people who were i mean we always have to be careful about dividing people into camps right insiders and outsiders because jesus is pretty his parables have a way of totally undermining that that sort of bifurcated theological anthropology but when paul brings it up like it's heartbreaking and he's got tears in his eyes and he and he struggles and he like he doesn't so i wish when people were talking about the urgency of salvation or redemption that they sounded more like this as opposed to like well some people got to be i mean it's they they're, they didn't they haven't chosen jesus and you know it's like a it's like a bmw it ain't special if everyone has one but i don't know if you can read like this passage from chapter 9 um, apart from the conclusion of it in chapter 11. 
Um, right. Like, 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 what if God is constrained all to disobedience to have yeah, mercy on it's all? Like the, yeah. That's my favorite, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Um, that like, you know, this, so the, this heartfelt longing that Paul expresses here concludes with Paul concluding, um, that God has made them disbelieve for the sake of others. Um, which is, is kind of a moving, mysterious, providential conclusion. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I've heard N.T. Wright say that basically uh, that the whole of, if you want to understand Romans, you have to look at chapter 15, like verses 5 through 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So the whole argument for his explanation of justification that all that you know that all have a problem and that all of that all you know that that uh god's faithfulness in christ is for all of humanity so it's all to the end of these romans jew and gentile connected to jesus of welcoming one another mm-hmm. the way they've been welcomed so i mean i think that it's it's easy to dismiss the significance of that and here so yeah i think you're right that this is a part of that argument Welcoming each other as Christ has welcomed us takes us to the words, actions of Christ in the gospel reading, Matthew 14. Feeding of the 5,000. Only miracle that is in all of the gospels. Yeah, except he doesn't say here, eat me. That's one of my favorite Jesus lines. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I have meat to eat that you know not of. Uh, <laughs> so what, what would you do with this passage here, Scott? Well, one of the things I think is interesting, right, is that it comes on the heels of the death of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is meeting human need in a place probably of his own deep need. You know, he's probably pained. Um, I mean, I don't know how close he and John were as cousins, but but part of the Gospels also seem to be Jesus in the early part of his ministry sees himself I think is, is, is sees himself in light of John's ministry. And, you know, in Matthew 11, we have that. It's one of the best, uh, one of my favorite um, passages when John asks, like, are you the one to come and should, or should we expect another? And he says, look what you see, right? Like, you know, you see these, the blind, you know, the, the blind see the lame walk, the poor have good news preached to them. And I love that line, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. Because somehow John is offended. Like he stumbled, Jesus is a stumbling block. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because Paul Zoll has written something, wrote something, I think in his book, The First Christian, that when I read it, I thought, how have I not read this before? But I don't think I had. He said, Jesus changes John the Baptist's apocalyptic preaching. John the Baptist is preaching not yet, but soon. Mm-hmm. And Jesus changed it to already and not mm-hmm. yet. That the kingdom being Catholic, mysterious, present, and yet coming, but it's already present. And so... and. PZ thinks that makes space for the Pauline understanding of grace, that this sort of already and not yet uh, leads the leaves space for like being on the way that we're mm-hmm. at the same time sinner and saint, just as the kingdom is here and not yet. So are we, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sinners and saints at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So that you have all that background, I think that, and then out of his need, and he kind of you know withdraws, right? He's uh, and the people kind of press on him, and they they need fed. Yeah. Got, got to eat. 
Gotta eat. Yeah, I, I, it's been a while since I've preached this text, but um, I can recall just the, the fun allegorical ways that uh, some of the church fathers would interpret the numbering here, um, the five and the two and the twelve. Um, I, d- I definitely think there's a, a way to to preach this that gets at um, our fear uh, that there's not enough. You know, that I, I think a primary takeaway from this passage is that Jesus gives us everything we need uh, to be faithful to our calling and mission. Yeah. So I think yeah. So that's, you know, the, the 12 baskets filled with leftovers. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's what that's what that's about, I think. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting, too, that, that this there's something about this miracle that it's in all the Gospels. Right. And it's it's one of these like it seems mm-hmm. like an important transition miracle or something that, that this is. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, uh, Robert Capon thinks that that after that this miracle is one of those things that that leads into this emphasis on death and resurrection. That that Jesus before the feeding of the five thousand, he he seems a little more like a traditional wonder working Messiah, mm-hmm. and that they could still sort of conflate the the John the Baptist sort of apocalyptic expectations and Jesus you know he could sort of meet those and and Capon thinks that that there's a shifting in the parables and in the teaching of Jesus to much more about being about death and resurrection and he sees these parables of grace as being all about death and resurrection uh, as opposed to the earlier parables which are parables of the kingdom which teach that again that the kingdom there's just the emphasis that it's catholic it's universal it's um, mysterious and and present. It's actual, even in a hidden way. Mm-hmm. And he sees Jesus as moving away from right-handed power here, from mm-hmm. this point on to left-handed power. This is maybe the, the last right-handed activity where he's acting. He still looks a little more like a traditional messianic figure, right? Healing and feeding the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, um, I think it's Ched Myers who talks about, um, or speculating, I guess, um, and the Markan version of this about Jesus feeding the crowds as a way to undermine, uh, you know, the, the markets, um, you know, that he doesn't send them to go out and buy food. Um, that, you know, he, he's creating an alternative community, uh, where he's the one feeding them. And I don't know whether I like that or not, but I do like the image, um, of people coming to Jesus with open hands to receive bread. Um, you know, in the same way that unexpectedly Jacob um, is met uh, by the presence of God. Yeah, and and it's interesting because Jesus will become what He gives them. Right? He'll become mm-hmm. food. He'll uh, He becomes our food and drink, kind of which be- is important because in a lot of Protestant churches, this will be the Sunday of celebrating the Eucharist that month. So it's um, you are what you eat. You absolutely. And what's interesting? This is what I find interesting too about like paleo diets that we would go. Like if we could get back to what our ancestors ate, that would we would eat, you know, we would be healthier. Worse, it like the gospel seems to have like emphasis on the eschatological diet that actually we become uh, more and more. Like you know, you, we hear the phrase like you know we're we're shadow that if, if somebody is like you know chronically ill or something, sometimes he's a shadow of his former self. But really, we're shadows of our future selves uh-huh. that's hidden with God in Christ. And, and is it, that's in something. I've read that before. Uh, I think it's in C.S. Lewis or N.T. Wright or, some, or both. Maybe it's in both, yeah. I, I do. I, um, what's his name? Wurzba, Norman Wurzba, um, wrote a book on like, food and faith. And he talks about how there'll be wine and beer and food in heaven. 
um, because you know the table is a means of sharing joy, and so food is necessary for us, even in heaven, because it's the closest we come to approximating the life of the Trinity. There's no booze in hell. Hell is a created good. <laughs> Got to be redeemed for that. Jason, thanks yeah. for talking with me. Oh, you're cutting me off. I, I twenty five really minutes or less. Twenty five minutes or less, baby. That's what she said. Exactly. Well, thanks again for doing this. And may you are you preaching this weekend? Uh, I am. Well, good luck Not on these texts. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed my time on Synapsis. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to my guest, Jason Michelle. You can follow Jason's exploits at tamecynic.org, and check out his podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. Thank you again. For listening, and we will catch you next week. Until then, fare thee well.